Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. All right, welcome to another edition of Take It to the Bank. We've got a jam-packed show for you guys today. We're going to be talking about the Jimmy Smith suspension. We're going to we're going to talk about Ronnie Stanley, the potential injury. Is that cause for concern? We're also going to break down every position group from the Ravens. Week 3 preseason win over the Indianapolis Colts. And I think the, the, the first topic that we have to address at this point is are the Ravens preseason juggernauts? I mean, they're 11-0 in their last 11 preseason games. They just won't stop winning in the preseason. Is that an issue? Not an issue, but I'd like to see it translate to the regular season for sure. Yeah, that's definitely a trend. We, we, I'd rather them lose every game in the preseason, obviously, and then win the win the regular season. But it, it is good, I guess. I mean, the, the Ravens are usually, they, they take these games seriously, maybe more than other teams, especially their backup guys fighting for roles. So it's a, it's a good sign to see for sure. But I want to start with the Jimmy Smith suspension. Uh, Jeff Zrebeck of the Athletic broke it mi- literally minutes before the game that, that the Ravens knew that Jimmy Smith was facing a potential multi-game suspension. And then today, on Tuesday, it was revealed that he had a four-game suspension. A couple of notes from Jeff Zrebeck that he notes is that number one, the Ravens obviously knew for some time now, according to him, that they were going to be, that this suspension was somewhat likely. So that could explain why Bashad Breedlin was brought in a couple of weeks ago. Everyone was concerned, kind of figuring out why did they do it. Now we understand why. The other thing that Zrebeck notes that I, that I think is kind of important is that uh, Jimmy Smith went to the NFL on Monday night or Monday to appeal it. And they brought it down from six games to four. So that was part of the process. So now it's only four games. I think there's so many different layers to this suspension. And the one thing I do want to say before we get into anything is we're not going to talk about the details of the actual suspension because I don't think that all the facts are out yet. And I'm not, I don't think it's fair to Jimmy, the team, or anybody else for us to make any sort of accusations or anything like that based on limited information. So we're not going to talk about the intricate details of the suspension, but we're going to talk about kind of the outlook of the roster. And I think there's a lot of different impacts that this could have. I mean, I wrote an article about the bubble boys. Some of the bubble boys could get a spot because this gives the Ravens potentially an extra spot to play with on such a deep roster, right? Sure. Absolutely. I think uh, offensive line may be where they want to use that extra spot considering how they looked, uh, how they've looked recently, especially against Indianapolis on Monday night. Uh, It's a shame with Jimmy. It seems to be always something or another with him. We're not even going to get into the the merits of his extremely absurdly backloaded contract that that really ties the Ravens' hand in this situation. But uh, but as you said, we don't want to get into details. It is a domestic violence issue. Apparently, we don't condone that, but we're also not qualified to speak on that. Yeah, and the thing with, with, with Jimmy Smith, and I, I want to mention that I can't believe you brought up that contract. We literally said before the show we're not bringing it up because it's going to piss me off. But the Ravens structured his contract so weird and, and so backloaded that they can't cut him. Like, you, like, it doesn't make any sort of financial sense to cut him. And the Ravens did release a statement. They are backing Jimmy Smith. They, they said that they do understand. And they see, and the Ravens seem, based on their statement, that they agree with the, the NFL's ruling on the suspension. It seems like Jimmy Smith is, is going to accept the suspension, obviously, and and. And he'll come back after after week four. But here's the thing, and I want to mention, is me and you have both been in this camp of no RG3 on the roster. We have. And this has no, and what I'm about to say has nothing to do with the way Lamar Jackson played, because I'm going to get to that in a second. This could open up a spot for RG3, because this is a third spot now that is kind of open, and you have an opportunity that, that you didn't see before to keep him, because now you could do it. Or would you rather use that somewhere? I, I would personally rather use it somewhere else, but I think you could conceivably keep him, right? Yeah, it's a possibility. He's probably going to get a lot of playing time, especially in the Ravens' final preseason game. And and if he continues to play well, I mean, he's a valuable piece to have in some in some regards. I, I mean, there's a lot of guys on the bubble right now, a lot of players uh, that should be in uh, you know in consideration for that final roster spot during those first four games. 
Yeah, I mean, this bodes well for Kamala Correa, Bronson Fusi, some of those other guys, and even Albert McClellan, because now it's another spot. They could keep an extra position group, or Max Williams. No, they could keep that fourth tight end they might not have been able to keep if Smith is able to be there. But another thing that you could that you think about is, should the Ravens be content at cornerback? Should they add another cornerback via free agency to replace Smith? Or do they or do they go with one of the guys they have, like Darius Williams or Stanley Jean-Baptiste? I think if... Maurice Kennedy returns to practice soon. He's dealing with a, a minor strain. Uh, I think they're going to be okay at corner with Carr, Humphrey, Tavon Young, and Anthony Averett. That's still a solid quartet at the top of the depth chart that could last you through four games. You also had Jalen Hill potentially coming back midseason or late season. Um, but Stanley Jean Baptiste is a player who did impress on Monday night, and I think He'd probably be equivalent to most of the guys you're going to find out on the market at this point of the offseason. So I think probably in-house may be the way to go. Yeah, because, I mean, Breland, based on the reports, it seems like the Ravens and him just were too far off on contract offers. And and that's expected because he's a guy who was signed to a big money deal and then ended up not passing a physical in Carolina and then had to go and then now is a free agent. So. You look, you look at what he's looking for. He's not looking for a reserve role. He's not. I think he's better than a reserve role, to be honest with you. So he's not going to want to come to Baltimore to be the, what, the fourth or fifth cornerback. That's not something he's going to want to do. So I think Breland to Baltimore probably isn't going to happen. But the other thing that I wanted to mention about this whole Jimmy Smith thing is if they keep the five cornerbacks, which I think they can because I think the, the key is Maurice Kennedy staying healthy, let's not forget about Jalen Hill because here's a possibility that I'm kind of throwing around that I was thinking about today. So Jalen Hill's on the pup list right now, right? But they can remove him. Even if he's not ready, they can remove him from the pup list and just have him be inactive for the first couple weeks. If he can get back before week week six, then it would make sense to do that if you wanted to go that route. That's an interesting idea. I mean, I guess that may create a little bit of a jam heading into week five, assuming you know Jimmy's ready and no one else goes down. But that is an intriguing idea. I mean, that would be a luxury problem to have, though, if everyone stays healthy by week five and you got you to get someone off the roster to make room for Jimmy Smith. That would be a luxury problem in my eyes. I like it. I like that, Logan. Smart thinking there. Um, moving on to the other uh, department of a little bit more bad news, Ronnie Stanley, the Ravens' starting left tackle, left the game against Indianapolis with some type of knee strain or sprain. We're not exactly sure the extent of the injury right now. And this is potentially a huge blow to the Ravens. They desperately need him to man that left tackle position. He's without a doubt the most irreplaceable player on the entire team. I think that it's interesting. And here's something that we're going to get into obviously later. But so when, when Stanley left, the first team offense was still on there. First team offense without Marcianda. Stanley goes down. He gets off the field. Instead of shifting and maneuvering different possibilities, which they have done in the past, and they certainly have the, the possibilities to, they put Greg Sanat, a guy that we both thought was a practice squad candidate all the way at left tackle, instead of throwing Hurst at left tackle, which they did last year when they played the Packers and Stanley was out, and then they could have inserted Illuminor or either Bradley Bozeman, someone like that, at right guard, but they didn't do that. They put in Sanat, and listen, I, my film piece is going to come out by the time you're listening to it. It'll probably already be out, but Sanat struggled at times, but he looked pretty sharp at left tackle, and he could be earning himself a roster spot. Yeah, I'm intrigued by Sanat. He may be... You know, a better option than anybody else on the roster if Stanley does miss time. We were debating Stanley's, you know, ranking among the the entire league as far as left tackles are concerned yesterday, actually, before the game. And we both agreed he was kind of in that 8 to 12 range as far as the best left tackles in the league. It's not what you want from a former number six overall pick. But without him, if you have Hurst now at the left tackle position, Hurst was literally the 32nd best tackle in the league last time he started there. It's not going to be pretty. Correction. One of us said that he was 12 to 16. Everyone else said 8 to 12. The other, Someone else, unnamed, said 12 to 16. So just, just throwing that out there. Just have to make sure you're correct. But John Harbaugh, after the game, did talk about Stanley's injury. He said it's not any kind of big tear. It's just a strain. It seems like a knee strain. So they're not sure how serious or how long it could be. But Stanley could be back sooner rather than later because that does change things on the offensive line for the Ravens if he were to miss a significant portion of time. But I want to get into this game, and I, I want to start with the with kind of the overarching thoughts, general takeaways. And here's something that I'm going to throw to you first. I kind of already yelled at you about this before, but I'm going to let you kind of talk about it first. The first team offense with Joe Flacco at the helm, they had three drives. 
What did you think of this group? Were you impressed? What was what was kind of your takeaways? Uh, pretty much what I expected. I definitely wasn't overly impressed. I wasn't overly disappointed either. Flacco, he looked like the veteran franchise quarterback that we all want him to be, that we expect him to be. But his play was not flawless. He made some mistakes that we'll get into a little later. And the offensive line, in my mind, was very disappointing. This was really some of their first experience running against the other team's number one players for an extended period of time. And they did not look good, either pass blocking or run blocking, especially the starting guards, Alex Lewis and James Hurst. They they even struggled against their second teamers for a portion of the game. But on the other hand, it was good to see Kenny Dixon back on the field making some plays. So it was a mixed bag, some good, some bad, but I wasn't overly impressed. Okay, so I don't understand this. And I talk to a lot of people about the Ravens. Uh, people always talk to me about it as well. I kind of reach out to other writers and things like that, and I kind of get their takes on it just to kind of see where my takes are kind of aligning, see how far off or how close I am with them. And it seems like I was in in a, in a minority in, in terms of how I felt about the first-team offense. I've read a lot of articles. I saw a lot of people saying that this first-team offense looked strong. They looked good. They looked ready for the regular season. The regular season can't come here soon enough. I don't know what those people were watching. Uh, the, so the Indianapolis Colts last year were the 30th-ranked defense uh, in terms of overall defense last year. They were missing Antonio Walker, and they were also missing Malik Hooker, who, was, who you, we both said is probably their best defensive player. And they had undrafted free agents like Sky Moore out there uh, playing defense. So you're with, with, the first, with the first team group, and I put that in quotes, and the Ravens had a three and out. They had a seven-play drive that ended in a punt, and then they had that touchdown drive. But Joe Flacco at the home. I was not impressed by this group at all. I was disappointed. I thought that they vastly underperformed. I thought Joe Flacco had out of the three preseason or out of the this is his second preseason game. So I thought obviously the first one he looked much better at only a one drive. But this one I, I wasn't too impressed with Joe. I thought that he made some big time throws. I like that throw to Crabtree in that cover two, against that cover two coverage. But I wasn't overly impressed with this group. I thought they could have done more. But like you said, Kenneth Dixon, I was very impressed with Kenneth Dixon. I, I don't think, and I think people a lot of get the twisted with me, is I don't think that he lacks talent. I, he is a talented running back, and there's a reason why the Ravens drafted him. He showed great production in college, but the issue with him is that he has had three, four injuries now, three of them being knee injuries. Then now he's dealing with a hamstring injury. He's had a couple of suspensions. I don't. He's got to prove that he can be reliable at this point, but when he's on the field, he's a playmaker, no doubt. He is. He is. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, again, I wouldn't say the Ravens exceeded my expectations. They met my expectations. Wink Martindale, coordinator, he was extremely aggressive. Seven, eight, even nine men on the line, and he just blitzed relentlessly, which did allow some of the younger edge rushers, Tim Williams, Darius Smith, to really play well, apply some pressure while they were rotating in with the first team. However, coverage on the tight end remains a major vulnerability, and I really don't know who or what the solution is with the way this roster is presently constructed and the way this scheme is presently designed. I certainly agree with you. I hate when we agree because it's just a boring show, but I don't know what to say. They, they got to figure out a way to cover the tight ends. I don't know if Kenny Young is the, is the solution there. I don't, I don't know if maybe you can put Anthony Levine, have him play more, more one-on-one coverage, but I think Mosley has proven time and time again that he is not very good at guarding tight ends. He's not very good in coverage in my opinion. So you got to you're they're going to have to figure it out and this is going to be an issue cuz the Ravens if you look at their schedule up and down they play some talented tight ends this year. It's tough to put Mosley in that position. It's 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 really it's asking too much of him, but the problem is as we mentioned ad nauseum they don't have that safety play. I mean really you should have uh, a 26-year-old Eric Weddle manning up tight ends. That's really what you do. So you can apply plenty of pressure off the edge and up the middle, but if that quarterback has that outlet valve to that tight end, you know, the other team's going to continue to string together some drives and stay on the field. But the issue that, that I think was part of the reason why they struggled against tight ends was that I noted is is last year they ran a lot of cover one, which me, a cover one man, which means that they're playing a lot of man coverage and the, and the, the guys they, they were putting on the tight ends, whether it was Jefferson, Weddle, whoever, just wasn't able to man the tight ends. The tight ends were either too big, too strong, or too fast for them, so or all of the above. So they maybe that's not the right 
play for them. Maybe Wink Martindale is going to change their system a little bit and not run as much cover one. I, I, I don't know. Obviously, you want to mix it up to show, show the offense different looks so you don't get too predictable. But maybe cover one just isn't the solution at this point. But they, I didn't see too many cover ones in the, in, in the preseason game against the Colts. Um, and then here's my question to you. And this is kind of just a throwaway question, kind of just a filler Justin Tucker's missed a couple kicks in the preseason. Uh, am I, should we be concerned, or is it just JT being JT? Not in the slightest. No way. He's the best kicker in the game until proven otherwise, perhaps the best of all time. I am not worried about Tucker one iota. At, it, at all? Like, like zero concern? Zero. Okay. You? You concerned? I'm not concerned, but I'm not, like, thrilled about it. Like, I, I think that, it, I mean, it, it is something to, to consider. Like, I mean, he's missed two kicks in the preseason now. And, I mean, he went a couple years without missing that many kicks, you know, and, or not something like that. But still, like, he's he's a pretty good kicker. And I obviously one of the best of all time, as, as you note. And I would like to see him make more kicks, but it is the preseason. They don't really matter. And let's just hope he gets it together during the regular season. But the other thing, now I want to throw to this. So this is kind of our hot topic debate on this show because we both actually take the other side on this one. The returner battle was epic against the Colts because both players, Janarian Grant and Tim White, completely botched their opportunities. Janarian Grant, like we said, against the Rams, had a golden opportunity, didn't really show too much. And then against the Colts, Tim White fumbles a punt, and now it's Grant's turn again. And then Grant had some had some good returns, but then he fumbled it. So kind of went back to even or maybe a little bit slightly behind Tim White. And my question to you at this point, are you keeping a seventh receiver? And that seventh receiver probably could be Grant or White. Or are you keeping neither and you're letting Chris Scoop and score more be the returner? All right, a couple things. As far as the game on Monday against Indianapolis, I will give Grant the nod. Um, he did show a little bit more wiggle. They both did fumble, but White also had that very questionable fair, uh, failed fair catch uh, signal. And you know Tim White's been my boy, so it's hard for me to say that. Uh, but I'm not going to keep – if it was up to me, I would not keep seven receivers. I'd keep six receivers. Uh, I, I think we're going to get to the rookies a little bit later. That should be a fun segment. Uh, but I really think one of them has to step up. That wide receiver six position should go to a return man. Maybe the Ravens have to look outside the organization. I'm not really sure. Some are floating the idea of maybe Chris Moore as the punt returner. I'm not really sure he has the hands for it. Others are saying maybe Willie Sneed can take on that punt return role. In all honesty, uh, Sneed, he's he's pretty slow. 4.6-second uh, 40-yard dash time. Um, at the end of the day, I still believe in White that he has more talent, but he's going to have to prove it over the next two games. And I will admit my confidence in him is waning just a little bit. Wow. It's almost like someone told you that he wasn't what you thought he was like four weeks ago, five weeks ago. I wish I wish someone would have told you that. I mean, it'd be a real shame if someone did or pulled up the clips and, and proved that they told you that. It'd be a real shame. But um, Janarian Grant, listen, I think that he's a more talented returner than Tim White. I think he proved that in college. I think he's proved that at this point in the preseason. I mean, he's so shifty. He's elusive. He's able to shed a couple blocks. But he did make the costly mistake of fumbling the ball. But let's not forget how he got to that point. I mean, he made a couple of guys miss incredible juke moves just to even get to that point. And then obviously was a little careless with the football. And we're going to get to this in a second. I might as well just get to it. Is outside of the top four Ravens receivers, they don't have anyone that's emerged. Like, there's no one that right now is wowing me or saying they've earned a spot. So, really, I think you maybe keep Janarian Grant. You find a way to, to roster Jaleel Scott or Jordan Lasley. And then you keep that sixth receiver, whoever you want. I mean, you I mean you can keep Perryman maybe. I'm not really sure. Or you keep one of the rookies and you keep Janarian Grant. That's five and six if you want to keep six receivers. But, really, this is a huge concern for me. And, and here's the thing, and I, I hate to play this game of the armchair GM, but we have the episodes and the, and the bandwidth and everything else we need to prove it. Neither of us were high on either of these receivers. We didn't understand why they drafted them. We had a list of guys that they should have drafted, that we thought they should have drafted instead of these guys. And and the thing with Lasley that I find so fascinating is that he started dropping passes and everyone, including it seems like the Ravens coaching staff, are like surprised that he's doing this. This is 
very well documented thing. Like it's not like he just like came into camp and all of a sudden couldn't catch a ball at college. He had one of the worst drop rates in the entire NCAA. He went to the combine, couldn't catch a pass. He dropped a couple in the gauntlet drill, and then he comes to training camp. He's dropped a couple. He had some really bad days, and then he goes to the preseason. He's dropped a couple. I mean, it's ridiculous. And the thing is, and when I analyze, and you can see it all on my film piece. I hate to keep plugging it, but you can look at it because I did a nice little slow mo with a different angle of his catch. And you look it is on his drop that that would have been an easy touchdown. It, it wasn't his hands that were in the right spot. It wasn't a technique drop, kind of like what we've seen from Perryman. What it actually was is he didn't locate the football in time. So what happened was he didn't get his head around in time to track the ball, and then the ball just hit his hands before he really thought that the ball was going to be there, and then it bounced off. So it was kind of like when you throw a ball at someone and they're not expecting it, and you're like, oh, and then you kind of bobble it, and then you drop it. That's kind of what the situation was like. But here's the thing is that this was a well-documented issue for Lasley, so, so this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Let's take a little walk down memory memory lane. John Harbaugh in the lead up to the draft, and I quote, I've always wanted guys that can catch. When you look at any position, to me, that's a deal breaker. There's a number one element, a necessity at every position, and then there are other things that are important too. A receiver has to be able to catch. This is not anything that's going to be revolutionary, but I think you can lose sight of that sometimes. And it's pretty clear that the front office – Lost sight of that when they drafted Jordan Lasley. He had a absolutely hideous, sure touchdown thrown from RG3 in the fourth quarter that he should have brought in. No question about it. He also had a contested ball that he could not bring in. He had trouble getting separation at times, even with a big cushion off the line. And I am very uh, concerned about what the Ravens are going to do there. At number four, excuse me, number five, wide receiver, Jaleel Scott, same deal. He was running with the fourth team with Devire Posey. He had another really ugly drop, and he seems destined for either injured reserve or the practice squad. They may uh, just put him on the practice squad if no one else is interested. Um, conversely, you had Chris Scoopin score more, had that slick touchdown grab on a crossing route from Lamar Jackson. And then John Smokey Brown had another pretty contested catch in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. His chemistry with Joe Flacco is evident. Uh, but, but beyond the four, beyond Crabtree and Snead, as well as the two we just mentioned, it, there's not a whole lot there. I don't know if Perryman's going to do anything. I, going back to Tim White for a second, I would have liked to see him get a little bit more opportunity on offense. He played well in the Hall of Fame game and in practice, apparently. But maybe that fumble put him in the doghouse. I'm not really sure. Uh, but it really is a wide-open competition. And uh, I really – this may be a little bit out of left field, but maybe, just maybe – the Ravens decide their best bet is to use one of their wide receiver slash tight end hybrids like a Vince Mayo or a Darren Waller to be that number five wide receiver or even maybe use Mark Andrews as more of a, a wide receiver because I don't think any of these guys have really earned that spot and the Ravens could do better using these guys on special teams and also letting some of these bigger bodies help out their, their offensive line to to block a little bit better. That's certainly an interesting possibility. That's actually it's actually not a bad idea. You can keep five five wide receivers that way. But here's the thing with Jaleel Scott, and this is another thing that's been well documented, is that his speed was always a concern. His speed was always an issue because people we, we were feared that he couldn't create separation at the NFL level because when you watch his college tape, what he did is he just played lesser competition. He was flat out, he was just bigger and stronger than these guys. So he was just manhandling them because of that tall frame that he has. And he was able to kind of just snatch it out and box him out. And he hasn't really been able to do that. But he, but on, on the contrary, he hasn't really been getting a lot of great opportunities to get in those jump ball situations. They haven't put him in a lot of success. I know Lamar overthrew him one of the deep balls against the Rams. So he definitely hasn't had a lot of opportunities. But the other concern for me is one of his greatest strengths, I thought, was his hands. He had nice, strong hands. He displayed that in college. And then he had that kind of concentration drop where it looked like he just took his eye off the ball for a second trying to go upfield across the middle from RG3. The pass was a little bit behind him, but he still dropped it. And that was still a concern for me. But I don't know. I, I If I had to make a, a prediction today, obviously the top four the top four and then I would say they keep Grant or White and then they find a way to to roster either or roster stash either Lasley or or Scott in some way shape or form whether IR practice squad whatever you name it and then and then one of them makes the team and I, I don't know which one there because I think that to me and here's my takeaway and I don't agree with this I just want to say it because I think that this is where the team thinks 
is listen, Perriman is leading those wide receivers in, in terms of catches and yards, things like that in the preseason, but he didn't really get his first snap until I think like the four or five minute mark in the third quarter. He was playing behind other guys like like uh, Janarian Grant, Scott, Lasley, all those guys. He got snaps after them. So despite his impressive performance against the Rams, he really didn't get any extra opportunities to show him, showcase himself again. So they either know what he has and they're just content with just kind of letting him get minimal reps. And if, if they keep him, they keep him. And they're going to let these other guys prove themselves or they just don't care. And they're just going to cut Perryman because they're done with him. And that could be the case because they get, I mean, they gave him literally like almost no reps. And, and listen, I'm not saying he deserves all the reps, but I think he, after that game against the Rams, he deserves something. Sure. Reading between the lines, uh, it certainly appears that way. You would think if you're trying to help help Perryman build up that confidence, you would uh, you would give him a little burn with the uh, with you know earlier on. Um, and I, I'm still holding out hope for Perryman. The Ravens could absolutely use another deep threat to complement John Brown to back up John Brown in case he does go down because they don't have a whole lot of speedsters at receiver to be honest. Um, so we're gonna see. I hope I hope Perryman gets more opportunity with with it the first team or at least the second team in the final two preseason games. Absolutely. Let's move on to the tight ends. Hayden Hurst, Mark Andrews, Max Williams, Nick Boyle. What did you kind of see from these guys uh, during this game? Hurst, I'm really starting to like like this rookie. He plays like a veteran. He, he looks professional out there. Uh, I have two notes on him. The first is he set the edge beautifully on a run play, which he's done in consecutive games now. And then – on his big catch, he set up the DB, created separation, caught the ball, and then fought for extra yards. I don't know what else more you can ask for there. He, he looks like a player. Um, Boyle didn't do too much besides his uh, his textbook or his his common uh, uh, what do they call it hurdle. Um, Andrews also didn't do a whole lot. He left some yards on the field when he stepped out of bounds early, and uh, and I actually think there's still a small chance that he, it does end up stashed on IR. Um, but I do want to highlight Max Williams a little bit. He did not play until, I believe, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth. But I did note, notice him on at least two or three b- plays uh, blocking very well to seal the edge. Yeah, Hayden Hurst, it's interesting because I, I felt victim of his as well is I was concerned about his ability to block as, as a blocker in the running game, and he's kind of answered all of those questions and more throughout this preseason. He had a couple of great textbook blocks uh, that set up the running game, and then Nick Boyle also, he had a beautiful, I mean, absolutely beautiful cut block uh, on one of the plays that set up, I believe it was Kenneth Dixon, for a nice long run, and, and Nick Boyle, to me, is so underrated and undervalued for this team. Mark Andrews, couple catches there. I, I and that was another concern that you say leave yards on the field. That's him, you know. That, that that's kind of who he's been. He hasn't really his last year at Oklahoma. He kind of lost that that yak ability that he portrayed earlier in his career at Oklahoma. So it's kind of a concern. I, I don't think that he's ending up on the IR or stash or anything like that. I think he's as long as he doesn't get hurt, like like legitimately hurt. I think that he's definitely going to make the team. Uh, Max Williams. That is that is interesting that he didn't kind of the same boat as Perryman, where he didn't get too many snaps till late in the game and. Williams could be on the outside looking in, but like we mentioned in our earlier segment is that he could get that spot because Jimmy Smith is going to be gone for, for four weeks. Yeah, Max, I think he was running. He came in at tight end sets. I believe he actually came in before Andrews. Um, I, I'm still, I still think he has some potential. He still has a little bit of playmaking ability. Uh, let's move on to the offensive line, a group that really had an underwhelming night overall. The right side was uh, was much better run blocking early on, but as we as I mentioned, the starting guards struggled, and uh, we really better hope that Marshall Yanda's return can elevate this unit overall. What'd you see from the starters? So Orlando Brown had I thought his worst game, but I I do want to put a caveat or an asterisk with it is that it really wasn't that bad of a game. It's just that he was so good in the first two games that this game he just struggled a little bit more, made a couple of mistakes. Uh, the, the biggest issue that I noticed with him, particularly on his side, is stunts really got to him. And it, and, and it wasn't always his fault, but it was the communication with him and whoever the right guard was is where they weren't picking up the right guys on the star. They weren't switching effectively, which would lead to sacks and, and pressures and things like that. So stunts were a huge issue for the offensive line as a whole, particularly that, that right side. Uh, Matt Skura had a horrible game. I thought that Skura 
was I didn't realize this really until I could because I saw it on the preseason tape uh, against the Colts and then I kind of looked back at it uh, I kind of watched some of the previous Ravens games that's why I was up so late last night because I was watching previous games to see kind of this trend that I noticed and the trend that I noticed was that he really is not good or effective against the bull rush and that that could be a concern for especially for guys going to be playing center is that he can't really do much against the bull rush I'm not sure to me it looks like he's not resetting because what's happening is that the defensive line they're getting off quickly and they're pushing him back and they're keeping their their hand placed and perfect and, and Skura's not able to kind of counter it by getting his hands under their, their armpits sinking his hips and resetting he's kind of just letting them get pushed back and has really no counter to it and that's an issue for the Ravens particularly at center because we, we've seen a center who gets victimized by the bull rush before in the previous years i.e. I. Gino Gretkowski so this is an issue for me with Skura I've got to see him work on that and get better at that for, for him to get this spot Alex Lewis had an inconsistent night as well kind of victimized a couple times on stunts as well but overall pretty solid performance from him I'd say up kind of just up and down and then I thought Greg Sonat like I mentioned the opener he had a, a pretty good game he there was a there was one time where he got absolutely burnt by a spin move but other than that it was pretty solid performance for Sonat I thought that he stepped up in a big way against a second against mostly the second and third teams of the Indianapolis Colts Good take, good take. Uh, Skura, another small note, I noticed multiple high snaps and shotgun from Skura, for, so something to keep an eye on. Brown, I thought, I agree, he didn't have, he went quite up to the standard of his first two games, but I still think he may have been the best lineman on the field for the Ravens. He had some good blocks on the second level, including a, a textbook cut block. And as you mentioned, he did give up a couple pressures off the edge, but they were really stunting relentlessly on that right side. They found something, and they just kept pounding it and pounding it and pounding it, the uh, Indianapolis defensive coordinator. And I also noticed he did show good recognition picking up a delayed blitz. Lewis didn't get a whole lot of push in the run game, also jumped off sides. Hurst, a lot of st- a sack versus former Raven John Simon. He just absolutely overpowered him, and he just had a really bad night in pass protection, James Hurst. But Sanad is another bright spot. He did show some good power and run blocking. Um, and then the backups, Jermaine Illuminar, Bradley Bozeman, and Nico Siragusa. Illuminar was playing right guard. Bozeman at center, Siragusa at left guard. Siragusa looked the best to me. Um, He did have a couple nice blocks on the second level to spring the tailback. Uh, The other two, I'm not quite sure if they are NFL caliber players. They do kind of lack that athleticism, that quickness. uh, And they do tend to get beat up a little bit in pass protection. Yeah, I thought Saragusa had an up and, up and down night. He had a couple of nice blocks, but a couple missed. I thought Illuminor had another up and down night. Because the thing with Illuminor, he's been trending down since the Hall of Fame game. In the Hall of Fame game, he looked really, really good. And then he kind of hasn't really been able to replicate that. He was a part of the problem with the stunts. Uh, he had one play where he did pick up the stunt correctly, though, him and Orlando Brown. But here's something I just want to, a quick note, I just want to mention. So the Ravens run, their running game, like we mentioned before, it's very it's kind of complex, a little bit different, where they run a lot of different schemes play to play, drive to drive, series to series, game to game, etc. But when they run a lot of the inside zones, the inside zones are so critical for offensive linemen to get upfield and get to that second level because you're pretty much you're getting a double team block one way or the other, whatever the play side is, and then you're then you're the one of the guys has to go forward and attack the linebackers. That's pretty much what the inside zone does is you're getting the offensive lineman to go more vertical, double team, get the double team right on the defensive line, and then get up and you're targeting those linebackers. And I thought that Orlando Brown did a great job at that. I thought the guards, particularly Hurst and and Lewis struggled with that, with kind of getting upfield off of their double team blocks. I thought, and I thought Skuro struggled with that as well. But he, I, I don't know. I, I just think that the Ravens. I need to see Marshall Yonda in there in order for me to make a general assessment. But if, again, I've been saying it all preseason and pretty much all year. And I'll say it again to you, is I think their best starting line combination is going to be Alex Lewis at center. I don't care how little or how much experience he he does or doesn't have at, at center. Matt Skura is not a starting caliber center to me. I think we've seen, especially in Baltimore, I think we have seen what happens when you have a an ineffective center, a center that that victimized by the bull rush and things like that. Put Lewis in there, and then you put Hurst or whoever you want at left guard, and then you have Orlando Brown. I would put Hurst at left guard, and you put Orlando Brown Jr. at right tackle. Obviously, Yonda at right guard, and you have you have Stanley at left, at left tackle. I mean, I just think that's the best combination, and I'm not sure why Hurst continues to, or Skura continues to get this many snaps. 
Seems like the coaches have, uh, have made the decision by all appearances, but I agree with you that it, that would be the best line. Yeah, so quarterbacks, and I, I want to start with Joe Flacco. We kind of already talked about it in the beginning, but what did you kind of see from Joe? I know three series um, had that. I guess, I guess the memorable play was that that throw to Crabtree, maybe the throw to John Brown, but I did like how aggressive they were. First play, I mean, deep route against cover two, kind of the middle of the D, right to John Brown, and was unable to come up with it. The safety, Farley, made a great play on it, but not a bad ball from Joe by any stretch. I thought it definitely gave John Brown a chance. I just thought the safety just made a better play. Yeah, just just a tick inaccurate. I mean, it was right there. But uh, it it wasn't quite perfect, but it was 95% of what you want to see. Uh, I thought Joe had a pretty good game. Uh, he hit a nice strike to Boyle in stride off a of play action. I was impressed that he was varying his cadence at the line to keep the defensive linemen from pinning their ears back and getting after him. Something we've been we've been hoping to see a little more of for years. Um, and then that play to Crabtree was beautiful. He used the pump fake to move the safety, and then he dropped the ball right there in between the zone, right to Crabtree, right on the sideline. One of the one of the better plays I've seen from Joe uh, in a while, to be honest with you. That's the kind of veteran presence and the, and the savvy that we like to see. Uh, but I do think he got away with one. He had a bad decision near the goal line where he tried to dump it down to, I believe it was Buck Allen. And he was lucky that that ball was batted down at the line uh, because that was a, a surefire interception, it appeared. And then he atoned for it with uh, with the touchdown to Brown. So it was a good performance. I'd give it a B. I wouldn't give it an A or an A-plus that, that, that some are making it out to be. Yeah, uh, it was Matt Skura, actually, who... I, ironically, you got mad that he didn't sustain his block and, and allowed the guy to get next to pretty much right right on top of Joe to kind of deflect the ball. But then when you look at where Joe was throwing it, it was probably a good it was probably a, a blessing in disguise that he was able to do that to swat it down. But I want to get to Lamar Jackson. I, I, I want to say this, and you can tell me what you want about this take, but I'm going to stick with it. I think Lamar Jackson was at his best when he was at his worst, and I and I want to break that down. Like 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 here's the thing. He was so bad for so much of the night. You know, he was so inaccurate. He made terrible decisions. It was like, what are you doing? Like, I didn't, I didn't even recognize this guy from what I've seen from the first two games. You know, because the first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game, exactly what we expected. Then, then against the Rams, it was so much improvement. He looked pretty good. He had that rushing touchdown. He looked more comfortable. He looked more confident. He looked like maybe this thing was starting to get around. And then this game just completely went the opposite direction. He regressed. He looked terrible. But then he turned it around. He had that one sensational drive where he looked exactly what I thought he was going to look like, where he looked comfortable, he looked accurate, he was delivering good throws, he was making good decisions, good clock management, I might add. I thought Lamar Jackson, in spite of how bad the performance was on paper, statistically, whatever you want, when you sit down and you watch the film, I thought it was it was an improvement, obviously, because he struggled for, for pretty much all of his drives, except for maybe one or two, but it was certainly a step in the right direction because you have to understand is he's not going to be perfect every single game and for him to battle through the adversity so to speak and to battle through and and still be somewhat successful as they put 10 points on the board when he was leading the offense I mean it was just a it was in a I think it was a much needed performance in terms of everything went wrong for him yet he found the way to still put up points and score a touchdown that's a good take. I like that. You can't sugarcoat it. Those first five or six passes were absolute ducks. But he finally did get into that rhythm when they when they went to the hurry up to close out the first half. And then the second, the third quarter, he, I mean, his accuracy was much improved. He had that pinpoint throw to Moore. Uh, some of those zone reads, he was showing off a little bit of speed there. And he really settled in with some efficient passing. Really good to see him bounce back from that start. Yeah, I mean, and that that played him more. And I I mentioned this in in the film piece that I've already said three times already. But I, if you don't, if you don't know already, I really want you to look at it because it took me a lot of time. But here's the thing: so he he rolled to his right, and when he rolled to his right, he had, it was third and two. He had a ton of field in front of him. He could have easily picked up the first down and maybe even took, put his head down and get a, get a touchdown, but he didn't. He kept rolling to his right patiently, I might add. He didn't think about turning upfield one bit. His eyes were always downfield. He didn't even think about running, I don't think. And delivered a nice pass and waited for more to get open towards the end zone, the sideline end zone, and, and threw a beautiful strike to get a touchdown. That, to me, was enough for me to be content with, with, with Lamar Jackson because everyone's talking about, oh, he runs. he's a run-first quarterback. He's always looking to run. 
on that play, he proved you he's not always looking to run, nor does he want to run. So I don't know if it's a shift in mindset with James Urban and Marty Morningweg doing it or what, but he looked pretty damn good on that play. And I thought it was a very impressive play that you can take a lot from and show his development. Because I think earlier in the offseason, he would have ran that. He wouldn't even thought about waiting for Chris Moore. He would have ran it, picked up the first down, and put his head down and tried to score. In college, he definitely would have done that. But I think that that's a show, that's proof that he is actually developing. And I don't think, and I never thought that he was a week one ready starter. I don't think that a lot of rookies are pro ready from week one. But I think of teams nowadays just throwing them out there just because they, they, they can and they do. But I think that Lamar Jackson is taking the necessary steps. I think this was a crucial yet painful step in the right development. Uh, RG3. We already talked about Lasley, but that was an absolute dime. I thought RG3 right at this point has done everything he can in order to to, to, to be worthy of a roster spot. It's just that I just don't know if the Ravens are going to give it to him because I don't think they have that luxury of keeping three quarterbacks. But that pass, I mean, under a little bit of pressure, was able to throw it exactly where it needed to be, and Lasley just ruined it. Yeah, I mean, RG3, he's, he's, he's not going to wow you, but he's steady. He's steady influence, and uh, yeah, I feel bad that, uh, that Lasley didn't reward him there. Shifting to the defense, we could see uh, a little bit more positivity on this side of the ball, at least uh, at least for most of the position groups. Starting with the defensive line, I thought uh, a lot of the younger players flashed. Yeah, uh, Bronson Kafusi, I thought quietly had a pretty impressive night. Zach Seiler also quietly had another impressive night, and and. The thing that I do want to add, though, is Kamalai Correa is... I don't know what's going on with him. And, and, and I think that a lot of people were overhyping him after that Hall of Fame game where he pretty much had the game of his NFL life at that, at that point. You know, three sacks, force fumble, interception. And he kind of has returned to planet Earth, so to speak. And he really... His pass rush moves were... He got stonewalled a couple times on a bull rush opportunity. Wasn't really getting home. Kind of show He, he kind of went back to what I've seen from him throughout his entire career with the Ravens and at this point, I mean, I know we talked about it earlier about maybe potentially giving him a spot, but I don't know if he's earned it. I just don't know if they can give it to him given given his recent struggles. I mean, we call it like we see it. When he has a Hall of Fame caliber game at the Hall of Fame game, we uh, we reward him. And when he plays like the, uh, what was the line? Master of uh, nothing, jack of... Master of none, jack of nothing. <laughs> That's the one. You know, then we say then we say that. Uh, but the defensive line, I thought, uh, I thought, I thought Siler actually had that really nice uh, uh, hit on Brzez on Brzez on the on the red zone, where he looked like he was shot out of a cannon. He also had a nice shoestring tackle in the backfield. He's pushing for a roster roster spot. I think he's probably the sixth defensive lineman in the pecking order as things stand currently ahead of Carl Davis, who just seems to be buried on the depth chart. Um, and then Michael Pierce, he's a beast. He's a trench monster, beating his man for tackles for a loss, causing forced fumbles. You know, he's just, he, he's really coming into his own now in his third year. And I also want to highlight Chris Wormley. Um, he had quite a few plays that made my notebook strong bull rush it should have forced a hands to the face call i mean he was in the backfield very frequently his penetration was disruptive and then he had a nice stack and then shed and then chase down the ball carrier on another play so i think that's your top six be well be well by the way he had a nice battle with big quentin nelson uh they were really going back and forth nelson got a few B. Will got more, but it was a good a good to see those two wide bodies mixing it up a little bit. And he played deep into the second quarter, which was kind of surprising. But uh, B. Will, Henry, Wormley, Urban, Siler, and Pierce. I think that's your six. Yeah, get 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 your money out of that overpaid contract when you paid a guy who can't rush the passer, but you paid him all this money to stop the run in in, in a league that really doesn't care about the run running game anymore. But yeah, 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 sure, play him to the second quarter. That makes sense. Um, I'm glad that my that my quote about Kamalai Correa made your made your notebook. I'm I'm really impressed by that. I I know it, it's hard to make your notebook, so. I do take honor with that. Uh, here's the thing I want to say, though, now that I'm done making fun of you. Uh, 
So Kenny Young versus Patrick Owasu, uh, Peanut, what, do you, what did you kind of see from that? Because I thought Kenny Young really has answered a lot of my questions coming into this preseason about him, is that Kenny Young, to me, we said it when we did our film breakdown of him, is that he's got to prove that he can stop the run. I thought he did that. You know, he's, he's had that nice fourth down stop. I believe it was against the Bears, and then now he's kind of turned around and put together a couple nice plays. I mean, Kenny Young, to me, is the real deal. Peanut has been everything that I thought he was going to be. I thought he's he's a solid player, but I just don't think he's a three-down linebacker. I just That's just not who he is, and I don't think that he'll ever be that guy, but he did, he did quietly have a good season last year, but I think it's time to move on, move to Kenny Young as the as the full-time starter at the weak side linebacker position, which I always had the caveat because I love how you, how you did the research on this. For, on, they only play 40% of the snaps. So it, essentially, it's kind of irrelevant. I can't disagree. Kenny Young, I've been watching him closely ever since we did our college breakdown of his, his tape and especially his run defense. Uh, notes worked on the line of scrimmage and found the ball to make a tackle. And then he had another textbook tackle in space on Eric Ebron and the goal line stop on the two-point conversion attempt. And he shines in pursuit and shines in coverage, comparing him to Peanut, who was basically invisible on Monday. Kenny Young, I think he's definitely the front runner at this point. So now can we talk about my favorite Raven? Can we talk about my the, the Raven that I absolutely love? Stanley John Baptiste. I mean, he allowed that big catch. You know, he got mossed. I, I will admit it. But as a cornerback, you have to have short-term memory. You have to understand that you're going to get beat a couple of times. Came back, had a nice interception, was pretty solid in coverage all day. And listen, if they want to keep another cornerback, like we mentioned, or I keep going back to our early segment, if they want to do it, he might be the guy. You know, he's a guy, I mean, people forget that he was a pretty high pick for the Saints a couple years ago, and he has all the potential, and he's got all the tools and the trades and things like that. It's really just an issue for him about putting it all together because he's a raw prospect. But if they can work on him and hone on his craft, I mean, this kid could be a, a, a solid role player. Yeah, he has all the physical traits. I was definitely impressed by his showing. I was especially impressed by his tackling. He came up and brought down the ball carrier on, I think, at least five attempts and then also drew another uh, penalty where the where the receiver was holding him, trying to prevent him from making a tackle. Kind of shades of Sharice uh, Wright's uh, breakout game against Buffalo. What was that, two years ago? It kind of reminded me. I mean, just... He looked like a, he looked like an edge defender out there. That's a name. That's a, that's a name right there, Sharice Wright. That, that's a nice that's a nice name. See, that's the cool thing though is like, do you remember those days of when um, it weren't too long ago where the Ravens were just picking up guys on on the street to to play cornerback, and now it's like Jimmy Smith goes get, gets suspended or goes down, whatever, and it's it's not even a big deal. They have all the depth to deal with it. But I just want to say this about, about Stanley John Baptiste, second round pick in the 2014 draft by the New Orleans Saints, six three two twenty. You can coach that up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other reason why the Ravens uh, have better depth is because they're actually drafting corners early on. Humphrey and Tavon Young both had good games. But I want to highlight Anthony Averett. He had a fantastic three-play sequence where, uh, when the, on the, in the red zone there. First play, brought down the ball carrier in the flat. Second play, b- broke up a pass in the middle of the, of the end zone. And then third play, uh, was had, was in perfect coverage and made the quarterback go to his next read. Three plays in a row. He he's a baller. Averett definitely is a baller, and I th- and I wrote about this, and I think that the emergence kind of of Averett could ease Baltimore's concerns about not having Jimmy Smith. The emergence of him could say, okay, they feel comfortable with their depth, where they don't need to go sign a sixth cornerback to play for their team, a guy that might be inactive for pretty much the first, those those four weeks. But uh, I want to go to the safeties. Anthony Levine Sr., and, and this is crazy to me, and I, I, we both are on the same page with this one. I was reading some people talking about how he could be cut. In what world is Anthony Levine getting cut considering his value on the dime packages? I mean, he's such a valuable player, and he's so underrated again. Like, I mean, he showed you last, uh, last night what he can be, and he's such a valuable player. I mean, no way he gets cut. No way. No way. He's a versatile chess piece. All he does is make plays, interceptions, sacks, Tip balls, fumbles. I mean, all he does is make plays. Any other uh, final notes about the safeties? Uh, Chuck Clark, I thought, did had a pretty good game. He did allow a big uh, catch and run, but he was playing that high safety, free safety role on a lot of time, on a lot of plays. And then Deshaun Elliott 
he uh, he has great instincts. He had a nice pass break up in the end zone on fourth down, and then he also recovered a fumble that was eventually overturned. But it just shows he has a nice nose for the football. And I'm assuming you saved the best for last, the outside linebackers. I did indeed. The outside linebackers, um, ESPN wrote an article, what was it, a couple of, a month ago, two months ago, something like that, where they said the Ravens' weakest position group is the outside linebackers. In what, see, like, that's the whole thing I don't understand. Uh, they had four of their outside linebackers had great performances. Tim Williams, sack. Tyus Bowser, sack. Terrell Suggs, sack. Darius Smith had a very good game. Um, Really, the only player that didn't join the party was Matthew Judon, but he didn't play that many snaps, but he was impressive in the, in the limited opportunities he had as well. But Tim Williams, I mean, oh my, oh my Lord. I mean, what a performance by him. I mean, this guy has come on really this preseason and showing you why they drafted him because this was a guy that many thought had first round potential and then obviously his off the field issues pushed him further down the board many were saying the Ravens got a steal with him in that third round I think it was 78th overall but I mean what a performance by him I think that he's showcasing his development and this is a testament to the Ravens coaching staff is that he's not just doing his speed rush or his patented speed rush he's going you with the bull rush he's going dip uh, bend moves he's got great bends he's, he's showing you kind of rip moves he's doing a, a, a swim moves he's doing every kind of move you can think of the, the club I mean so encouraging to see a guy develop you know and that's why I'm a big believer for rookies is if they're not ready don't play them let them develop because you Tim Williams if he has a good season it'll be evident that resting him for those or benching him for those eight games as a healthy scratch might have been worth it because he's able to hone in on his craft and, and work on him on his moves because he's he seems like more of like a complete outside linebacker now I had a Tyus Bowser peg to be the breakout star of the defense and he also had a good game with two tackles for a loss and drew a holding penalty but Tim Williams was the star of the game I think he was the team MVP uh, maybe him or Levine for this game. He was all over. He lived in the backfield. Six pressures per pro football focus. And he also had multiple stops of running backs at the line or slightly behind the line. And he did it from both sides of the field, mixing up moves. Uh, he, I, I'm extremely excited to see what he can bring to the field. And Zadarius, he played well. He, I think he had four pressures. He had a sack. And then Terrell Suggs. His usual incredible self. He really almost got the ball out there when he sacked Luck from the blind side. And I want to ask you, is he still the best player on the team at 35 years old? On the defense or, or in total, like in general? The team, both sides of the ball. I would say no. I would say I would say no, but I think it's like I think it's close, but I, I would have to say no. To who's your best? Marshall Yonda. Marshall Yonda's the best player. Marshawnda is still a top five player. Like Marshawnda is a top five player in his position position group. I don't care that he's coming off an injury. He was arguably before he got hurt. He was arguably the best guard in football. Now, like he's top five at worst. Marshawnda is the best player on the team. And I, and yeah, we're in agreement on who's the best on each side of the ball. I, uh, I'm glad we we do that. I mean, let's just remember. I I'm on Team Grant. You're kind of on Team White. And one player is doing pretty good. One one player kind of stocks falling a little bit. How was Delance Turner showing? Yeah, so we're gonna move on to around the AFC North. Um, so what the and listen, no, no, I'm gonna say this: Delance Turner hasn't been getting a lot of opportunities. He looks really good in training camp. I'm not sure if they just don't think he's ready. They just don't know. And maybe there's more to it than I'm not seeing. But based on what I saw, I thought he deserved more opportunities. Maybe not. Maybe Delance Turner is is a little bit more raw than I thought. Could definitely be a practice squad guy for sure. I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, they gave Gus Edwards a, a majority of the snaps and and out of all the UDFA running backs, and that's fine. I mean, Delance Turner, I thought that. I thought that he was going to show a little bit more during the preseason, but, you know, preseason's not over. Still got time to shine, and we'll see what happens there. I'm just busting your chops. <laughs> no, we got to keep each other accountable. Keep each other accountable. Remember, when Michael Gallup's the rookie of the year this year, you have to, you have to tell me that I was right. Just just like if he's not, you can tell me I was wrong. But All right, deal. He's not going to He's gonna win rookie of the year. It's fine. Uh, around the AFC North, so the Bengals, uh, some interesting moves for Cincinnati. They cut Georgia Loca, say, long-time safety, and – they and so now this leads to our fav one of our favorite guys in the in the twenty eighteen draft class Jesse Bates is going to be the starter. Uh, this is I I don't know how to feel about it. You know I I think that it was it, there was according to some Cincinnati Bengal insiders there might be more to this than than advertised. But most people are saying it's a it was purely a financial decision. Uh, Jesse Bates has looked pretty good so far in the preseason from what I've seen, and he was a guy that we thought fit Marvin Lewis's scheme like a glove. Absolutely fits Marvin's scheme like a glove. You can play that single high role 
and he gives him some of that ball hawking that uh, that Reggie Nelson did when he was in his prime in Cincinnati that Jake that gave Joe so much trouble. And Iloka was uh, you know, probably a little bit overpaid and turning in the wrong direction, but uh, it speaks to to Bates's showing so far that they were willing to make that move already. Yeah, it's almost like two guys who have a podcast and write for a Ravens website didn't didn't say that the Ravens should target Bates. I mean, it's, it's almost like two guys didn't do that. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, uh, so they announced, I thought this was kind of interesting, they announced that Baker Mayfield's not going to play versus the Ones in their third preseason game. Tyrod Taylor is the starter, as they all say. Josh Gordon did return. Uh, EJ, cornerback EJ Gaines suffered a serious injury during practice, and they brought in Des Bryant for a visit. You can see that visit and, and a lot of it on Hard Knocks, uh, premiere Tuesday night at 10 o'clock, so I'm sure it's going to be pretty entertaining. But if Cleveland signs Des Bryant, I that would make for an interesting wide receiver core. I mean, you have Des Bryant, Antonio Callaway, Jarvis Landry, and Josh Gordon. I mean, that's, a, that's not an easy team to cover. Even without Des Bryant, that's not an easy group to cover. If I was them, I wouldn't sign Des Bryant when you have David Njoku, who's Bigger and faster, and, and and probably would serve the same role in that offense as the uh, one of like the, the a big man out of the slot. But if I'm Hugh Jackson, I don't I'm not particularly interested to play to see who plays versus the ones in the preseason. I am interested to see who plays versus the ones in the regular season, and it, it's a legitimate battle. They're a little bit similar. I think Tyrod has the the higher uh, floor, Baker has the higher ceiling, and if I am Hugh. I'm letting Tyrod start the season, and if they need a little boost in the second half, you bring Baker in, and if and if things start going sideways midway through the season, you make him the full-time starter. But Tyrod's ability to protect the ball, I think, can they maybe maybe they can win some games that way without exposing Baker to the fire quite yet. I disagree. I have been a long time in the in the camp of Tyrod should start, but after watching Baker Mayfield these first two preseason games, I'm blown away. He was my QB1 all along. Uh, you can check my big boards for proof of that. He's been my QB1 since day one, and I think that he, he blew me away with what he's done. His footwork looks incredible. He looks so poised and patient in the pocket. He's very accurate in his throws, makes great decisions. I would listen. The Cleveland Browns need a spark. They went 0 16 last year, 1 31 the last two years. Tyrod Taylor is the boring starter, so to speak. He's not going to turn the ball over. He's not going to make a lot of splash plays. But the Cleveland Browns need to come out and win football games first and foremost. They need to come out and win a lot of football, win football games early to gain their confidence and, and let them know that they could be a legitimate playoff contenders because this is a talented team. I, and I know I get ripped for this a lot, but this is a. This is not your your old previous Browns. This is a Browns team with a lot of talent on that on that defensive side of the ball and offensively. This is a group that really could make some noise and kind of surprise some people if they if they have the right guy playing a quarterback. And it might be Tyrod Taylor, and I might be eating crow on this one, but I think Baker Mayfield gives him that spark, and I think Baker Mayfield gives him an extra element in terms of that 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 wow factor. And they could certainly need they could certainly use that because I mean, open up against Pittsburgh week one. Like Brian Davis, Brian Davis said the Browns are going to win that game last episode. If you don't remember, so who knows? And and we, and we like Brian Davis, right? We're big Brian Davis guys, right? Absolutely. He still owes us those sandwiches, though. Uh, the Steelers. <laughs> so a wide receiver that we weren't very high on, in, in the draft, James Washington, two a huge day, huge day, two touchdowns. Uh, Mason Rudolph struggled first first pass attempt was actually a pick six, but kind of battled back through another touchdown later in the game. And then James Conner in that preseason game flashes of the future. Maybe, you know, Le'Veon Bell holding out might not be a stealer in 2019. James Conner could be their guy. I mean, he looked pretty good, looked pretty impressive in, in their preseason game against the Packers. Yeah, he looked very impressive. Washington and Conner on 10 touches combined, 10 total touches combined for 174 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, so the Steelers are going to score. We always knew they were going to score, but there's only so many possessions in the game. And unfortunately for them, that defense is looking mighty shaky right now. Yeah, I, I again, we, we kind of talk about it. And the other thing I forgot to note, oh, I forgot to say is, so Terrell Edmonds, remember the, remember the guy that we both scratched our heads at when they picked him in the first round with the 28th overall pick and we didn't know why they did it? Yeah, that guy, the, the guy that we, we said uh, they should have done that, uh, uh, he got mossed twice for two touchdowns against tight ends, one to Jimmy Graham and one, and one to another uh, backup tight end for the Packers. I hate to say I told you so, Pittsburgh, but 
I'm going to I'm gonna rub this in your face real quick because I said that this guy isn't worth a first-round pick, and I know it's only one preseason game, and I shouldn't get overreactive heavy, but this is a guy, this is what he was brought in there to do, you know, guard the tight ends, and he, and he struggled a lot. I mean, it's a learning experience. He could, he could, again, prove me wrong and make me eat crow, but, I mean, this is a guy that I did not think was worth a first-round pick, and he showed it in this preseason game. I mean, maybe he'll have a better year, but not a great showing for him. Now, we're going to find out soon. Starting to get close now. I can smell that September air starting to creep in. Absolutely. And college football season's just around the corner as well. It is scouting season. We're going to put up a lot of articles in Baltimore Beatdown of scouting the players to watch every college football Saturday before the Ravens play on Sunday. We're going to keep you guys posted on that. Uh, we, we, we loved our draft coverage last year. We know, we know that you guys liked it too, so we're going to kind of amp it up this year, kind of get, get, get it early and often. We're going to kind of talk about who the Ravens could potentially target. That's it. You hear the music. We're out. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games i mean there's also some actual football discussion like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things or the ncaa saying really stupid things yeah there's lots of stupid things in this big dumb beautiful sport sometimes we talk about football games allegedly if you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken come find us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one the shutdown forecast. It's not Voltron.